There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Unfortunate Cookies. At the end of your meal, no longer should you have to crack open a stale bite of sweetness to find a message of generic positivity. Instead, try Unfortunate Cookies, the devious and delectable treats that prey on your greatest fears and get strangely specific while doing so. Fall victim to bite-sized doses of reality like, it's not your baby, you should probably get tested, and hooray, you're going to federal prison. More than our recipe will leave a bad taste in your mouth. We're about as sweet as diabetes. Unfortunate Cookies. The cookie? It takes a bite out of you. Patent pending. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight. I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I got to get paid. High fly ball, back to right center, and the Braves have landed. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I got to get paid. Swing and drive, back to right. Welcome to the show. Twenty-five lighters for my twenty-five folks. Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast, brought to you by Armchair All-Americans, the Grueling Truth Network, and our friends at MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag, the number one place to go for all sorts of online betting. March Madness is in full swing. You know where you need to go? MyBookie.ag. If you want to play single teams, you want to play parlays, money lines, prop bets, whatever you need, MyBookie.ag has it there for you. They've got the best customer service, their lines are easy to read, easy to find, and they've got the best numbers out on the web. If you ever have a question about a certain line, their customer service is second to none. So use our promo code BRAVES25. They'll throw in a 50% deposit match for your initial deposit. So you throw in 100, they'll throw in 50 bucks, and you're ready and raring to go. MyBookie.ag. Win and get paid. All right, so our guest today we're going to round up and finish off our, our NL East preview. And as you guys know, the last one has been the Mets. So we had to, we had to scour the globe looking for the best, the best Mets writers, say that four times fast, that we could come up with. And we lucked out. We got none other than the best in the business. It is the Mets beat reporter for MLB.com, Anthony DeComo. Thank you so much for coming on with us. Hey, guys. Yeah, happy to. I understand that things are going pretty well for the Mets uh, for this offseason. You get a new GM in Brody Van Wagenen, and uh, I'll be the first to admit I was uh, I'm not a big I was not a big believer in him, but I will say I like a lot of the moves that he's done this offseason. Yeah, look, it, it's 
My stock line when people ask me about the Mets and, and what they've done is that there's they are unquestionably better. And the question that remains is, are they good enough? But I don't think you can argue, and I'm sure we'll get into that second part in a bit, but I, I don't think you can argue that this is clearly a better team than what the Mets put out last year. Uh, this might be a better team than they've – probably is a better team than they've had at any point since 2016. And they're pretty much improved across the board. So, uh, you know, the lineup is better. The bullpen is much better. The rotation is the same. And, and that's, um, you know, an area that I, I think, while it's obviously one of the best in the game, uh, they could probably have used a little more depth there, maybe use a little more depth in the bullpen. And you can quibble with lots of spots up and down the roster. But overall, they are a better team. And, and I don't think you can, you can really argue otherwise. You know, we in Atlanta, we just got got a new GM last off season, and we watched we have watched him take very, very cautious, very calm, measured approach to a lot of deals. And Brody, meanwhile, came in and uh, pretty much immediately swung that deal with Seattle to get Robinson Cano and and uh, Edwin Diaz. Which um, I, I was a huge Jared Kelnick fan, so so that that deal was very, very interesting to kind of see from the outside. I was curious about, you know, one of the biggest things about Cano is he's a, a humongously impactful player, but he does have a lot of years and a lot of money left on that deal. Now, they took that on to get Edwin Diaz. Like, kind of what were your thoughts on that? I know that Diaz is, is incredibly impactful as well, but he's kind of got the situational usage. So what do you think about that deal? Well, my, my first thought was, okay, this makes sense. The Mets are, are taking on a bad contract to – uh, get one of the best closers in the game. And my second thought was, wait, they're really not taking on all that much of the contract. You look at the numbers uh, uh, off the top of my head. I can't think of exactly what it is, but uh, it's not nearly as much as, as you would expect. So they are going to be saddled by this deal for a while, regardless of, of how Cano performs. I think there's a general expectation that he'll probably be quite good for a couple of years and then uh, start to tail off in a way that makes the contract a bit of an albatross toward the end. And, and the Mets hope is obviously that that doesn't occur for quite a bit. Uh, but realistically, when you get to the final couple of years of that contract, he's probably going to be, they're probably going to be paying him a lot more than he is worth at that point. So I think that's, you know, something that's pretty much known. Everyone understands that about the Robinson Cano deal. I thought, you know, maybe the Mets would have paid down more of that or at least tried to pay down more of it. So they wouldn't have to give up Jared Kelenic, who, who is probably the headlining prospect in that deal and who might this time next year be a top 20 prospect in the game. But again, the Mets are looking at this from a perspective of we want to be good right now. We want to compete right now. And they didn't bring on Brody Van Wagen as GM just to go ahead and kind of do the same things that the old regime did, which was move very cautiously, not make these kinds of big splash deals and kind of always have one eye on the future. They brought on Brody Van Wagen because they liked his plan to be good now. And Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz in, in 2019, they make him better. And it's not even just those two. If it had stopped at that one deal, then it would still be an interesting offseason. But they got one of the sneakier signings. The catcher, the catching position for the New York Mets has been um, – Put it, bad, putting I'll it nicely, it <laughs> to put it nicely, has not been strong for a long time. 
probably since Mike Piazza retired. Uh, so getting in Wilson Ramos, who he's had a little bit of problems staying healthy the past couple years, but when he's in the game, he's another impact bat that you can slot in anywhere from fifth on all the way down that lineup, who gives you a, a nice veteran presence as much as uh, we may poo-poo that word uh, and, and as far as what it actually brings. Ramos is somebody who's worked with a ton of pitchers. Uh, the pitchers he has worked with have really liked working with him. So while he's not going to get extremely high marks for anything across the board outside of power, it is a clear upgrade from Kevin Ploiecki, Devin Mazzarocco, and Travis Darno, who seem to get hurt every two weeks. Uh, so that one was a good move. You add in Jed Lowry, who is coming off of one of one of the more understated seasons I've seen from a second baseman. Like, I don't think people really talked about Jed Lowry's season ago enough. And he did that in a park in Oakland. He showed more power in Oakland than he showed in Boston, which to me seems insane. So before we touch on Wilson, really, I want to ask you, do you see any way that Jed Lowry repeats that? Well, he's already not uh, not going to repeat that because it, it seems pretty much certain at this point that he's going to start the year on the injured list. And uh, really, at this point, as we're recording this podcast on, on March 21st, he's not particularly close to returning. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him miss a big chunk of April, in which case you know, he was remarkably healthy last year at, at age 33. And you expect that to decline a little bit as he gets really into the meat of his mid-30s here. And uh, so just right off the bat, it's going to be hard for him to repeat that. But, you know, that was kind of, I think, awareness you always have with deals for players that age is, uh, you know, at what point do they tail off? Same with Cano. Same with anyone around baseball. Is that at what point do they tail off? At what point does the production start to to lack? And uh, with Jed Lowry, you know, it kind of often comes in this form. A nagging injury turns into something longer, turns into something that kind of, uh, uh, you know, limits the production throughout the season. And uh, so as far as him repeating what he did last year, I think it's already pretty safe to say that he won't. But the Mets are still obviously helpful. He'll be a productive player. There seemed to be a little bit of redundancy in, in a couple of the, the acquisitions that, that did get made. When you're looking at a guy like Lowry and a guy like Cano, and you also have Todd Frazier, you have Jeff McNeil, you have a bunch of different guys that can kind of fill the corners and, and maybe uh, fill in some second base for you. You also have Dominic Smith and Pete Alonzo that are kind of going to figure into this mess too. So, uh, And J.D. Davis, which was, I don't know if that was uh, meant to be more, more of kind of a depth move. Uh, when they got him from Houston. So when you're kind of looking around the infield, how do you think it's going to wind up shaking out? I mean, is is Ahmed Rosario really the only one who's got the uh, a solid position in there? Because I think Cano could see a little bit of time at first as well, if I'm not mistaken. Well, as long as Cano stays healthy, I think he's going to be you know, there, there every day second baseman. You could probably pencil him in the same conversation with Rosario and, and, and both of those guys, Cano and Rosario, they're – Hopeful will play 150 plus games at their at their primary positions at least for now. Down the road, yeah, I could see Cano at first for sure, uh, but they're not really looking that way in 2019. But I agree with the redundancy, and that was if you asked me to poke holes in one singular move that Brody Van Wagenen made this winter, I would point to the Lowry signing, and I said it at the time, I say it now, and you know even more so in retrospect because of the injury. But that's not really why. The reason why is kind of this opportunity cost of what else could you have spent that $10 million on? He's making $10 million a year for two years. What else could you have spent that on? Could you have spent that on starting pitching depth? We see now what Gio Gonzalez signed for, $3 million. We see now uh, even with some of these relief arms signed for it, you know, could you have gotten something that helps out your team more for that $10 million 
than an infielder who kind of pushes these other guys to the bench. And, and we'll see how it works out over the course of the season. Like I said, Lowry's going to be injured on opening day. Todd Frazier is going to be injured on opening day. And you take the sum of those and, and, you know, the Mets have put themselves in a place where they have enough depth to counteract that and it won't really affect them. But I, I do think there's some redundancy there. And I think, you know, in their eyes, in the Mets' eyes, it's to ensure against what happened last year and really what's happened around here for most of this decade, even in 2015 before they made some really impactful trades for, for, and I'm not talking about Jonas Suspers, I'm talking about Kelly Johnson, Juan Uribe, these big league quality bench guys. Other than that year, you know, the Mets, when they've had good teams and when they've not had good teams, their starting guys get injured. They're filling them in with below replacement level players. So the idea is for that not to happen this year. We're seeing it already. Jed Lowry gets hurt. Todd Frazier gets hurt. The Mets are filling in with guys like Jeff McNeil, with guys like Dominic Smith, Pete Alonzo, who you know, purportedly will be much better than replacement level players. But uh, again, the opportunity cost of that redundancy is that you don't make moves in other areas. And I think if you point to a Mets weakness, it's the starting pitching depth, it's the bullpen depth. And we'll see you know, if they wind up coming to regret that. Speaking on that starting pitching depth, I, I don't know why this is, but Mickey Calloway said that Jason Vargas will be the fifth starter again this year. What would you put the number at? Oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really shocked that Seth Lugo doesn't get more play as that fifth starter, especially when you consider just how good his curveball is. I don't know if it's more they're worried about taking him out of the pin, but with all that bullpen depth, I, if it were me personally, Seth Lugo would be starting that fifth slot or even Robert Gesellman over Jason Vargas. Well, and Seth Lugo has been very vocal in saying that he wants to start. He would love to have that spot. Uh, the Mets value him in the bullpen. They think he's one of the best relievers in baseball, which he has been the past couple of years. And they think they really lose something in quality when they put him in the rotation where he kind of, uh, you know, they don't see him as more than a five-and-dive type pitcher. They don't ever want him to face a lineup three times through, uh, which is fine. But then when you think about it, the same can be said about Jason Vargas, whom the Mets never really wanted to face a lineup a third time through and will be starting games for them. So uh, I agree. Uh, Vargas has looked pretty good this spring, but you do have to worry about another guy in, in, you know, in his mid-30s with a track record that's been shaky at best in recent years. What can he provide? Uh, Steven Matz also has looked kind of shaky as their number four starter this spring. What can he provide? And then obviously going through of Noah Syndergaard, of Zach Wheeler, of Matz, and 12 starters over the course of a year. And you start looking at who six through 10 for the Mets. And it's Corey Oswald, Hector Santiago, if the Mets hang on to him in spring training. And, and these guys, you say, okay, uh, is this going to be enough? And look, maybe the Mets, you know, know something we don't, but I personally look at that and I'm a little bit skeptical because uh, the Mets obviously have a great rotation. You look at it on paper, and it's Syndergaard, and it's DeGrom, and it's Wheeler, and it's Cy Young candidates, and it's these guys throwing 98, and they're all great. But they're not all going to make 30-plus starts. And, and you could say that about the Mets. You could say that about every team in baseball. So I just go would my primary concern, I, I think, and I've said that a couple of times for this team, is what happens uh, you know, when you're turning every five days to the number six, to number seven. Uh, are they good enough to really carry this team in the months of summer when they're going to need it? Now, being a Braves fan, I'm not generally super excited when the Mets are really good. No offense. Uh, generally speaking, I don't want them to be great. But I do really want to see Seth Lugo in that 3,500 RPM curveball as much as possible. But 
the big I think the bigger issue for me, you were talking about what you thought their biggest hole was was the redundancy, you and Doc. To me, I think the biggest swing and a miss was center field. Because they've got a whole they've got an entire outfield roster built up of corner outfielders, and they just kind of throw one of them in center and hope that it works out. I know Lagares is healthy for now, but we've never even had the question of whether Lagares can either hit. Uh, you've got Keon Broxton, who just uh, crashed into a wall a couple weeks back. Don't know if he's doing any better. But even when Keon was getting regular playing time in Milwaukee, He's a guy that can run into some homers, can run in some steals, but he really doesn't hit all that well. He almost profiles better as some potential pop off the bench. You move in Jeff McNeil to, to right field or left field to go along with Brandon Nimmo and Michael Conforto. you got Uena Cespedes, who I expect will be back after the All-Star break. What kind of happened there? Were they targeting a center fielder and just didn't get one done? Well, yeah, during the offseason, I think I was a pretty I was a pretty me personally, I'm talking, was a pretty vocal proponent of the Mets going out and signing A.J. Pollock. And, and they did talk to Pollock, and they talked to Adam Jones and a couple other guys who could potentially come in and play center field. But they never really – it did start to make a little more sense. Uh, and kind of we talked about Jed Lowry and the redundancy there, is their plan, who really distinguished himself as a hitter last year, and move him to the outfield. Those plans got torpedoed when Jed Lowry got hurt and Todd Frazier got hurt because McNeil is the Mets' opening day third baseman. But before that happened, the idea was to put McNeil in left and hope he could you know, be defensively adequate there, move Brandon Nimmo to center, and then have Michael Conforto to right. And offensively, that is potentially a very, very good outfield. Now, that's not going to happen. And so as a result, they're going to get the situation where you talked about where it's either going to be Ligaris, and probably will be Ligaris, uh, with Keon Broxson as the alternative in center field. And you're absolutely right. Uh, Lagares has major injury history as much as anyone, any single player in, in baseball today. Uh, he has not ever been healthy in his entire career. And when he has been healthy, he, you know, he's shown some promise at times offensively, but more often than not, he's struggled. And so what is he bringing to the table? He's bringing presumably elite defense, even though that has been uh, you know, somewhat inconsistent year to year from when he won his gold glove way back in 2014. So it's an issue. It's definitely an issue. And uh, we'll see how quickly those infielders get healthy. We'll see how Jeff McNeil winds up taking to left field. But you you start talking about these contingencies and what could happen. And, uh, you know, we're kind of going into the season now not really knowing. I don't think there's a great sense out there because he hasn't gotten the reps that Jeff McNeil will be an answer and that Brandon Nimmo can play center field every day. And in the interim, you will be proceeding with Lagares. So it's, it's a question mark. And I think that kind of speaks to the overall roster here. And the very first question you asked me is, you know, about Brody Van Wagen and about the Mets and how good they are overall. And I said, there's no question they are better. There's also no question that they have some issues on the roster and things that you can really poke holes in uh, from top to bottom. So, uh, I'm not smart enough to know which wins out the fact that the Mets are clearly a better team and a good team or the fact that there's some some issues here that, you know, if you're a fan or you're a follower of the team, that uh, would certainly be concerning. When you're looking at a guy like uh, like Pete Alonzo, OK, so he's he's not going to crack the opening day roster. And I know that he, he was kind of mentioned in the in the redundancy category, depending on uh, which way you're looking at this. He and he and Dom Smith. Uh, right now, we're kind of fighting for the first base job, but as as we also know from seeing Ronald Acuna last year, service time manipulation is a is a very very real thing. And as long as there's not going to be any long term punishment for teams doing it, they're going to continue to do it. 
Um, if it were up to you, would Pete Alonso be your, your everyday first baseman or would you give Dom Smith a chance to, to hold that job down? Well, I'm going to disagree with you twice. And, and um, the first okay. one is something – well, the first one is something I meant to say earlier, which is that I think Paul LaDuca would probably take offense at you saying that the Mets haven't had a good catcher since Mike Piazza. Uh, but <laughs> the, the second one, relevant to the question you just asked, uh, I firmly believe, as we're standing here on March 21st, that the Mets are going to carry Pete Alonso on their opening day roster. And I'm not really? saying I agree with it. I'm not saying it's smart. But – the thing you have to realize is Brody Van Wagenen came in and he has, as you mentioned, from the start, been splashy about a lot of stuff. He has gone out and he has done and said all of these things, you know, from making the Robinson Cano trade and all these other signings to saying, you know, we're the class of the NL East, come get us. And just going about this in a way that says, Look at me, look at us, we're going to be good. And that means carrying your top prospect in the opening day roster. And Brody Van Wagenen has said that time and again when asked in the offseason, when asked in February, when asked in March, he says, we're going to take the best 25 players north of us. We're going to take the best 25 players north. When asked about Pete Alonso, we're going to take the best 25 players north. There is not a case on earth you could make that Pete Alonso is not one of the Mets' best 25 players right now. So he's painting himself into a corner. He pretty much has to carry Pete Alonso, and if he doesn't, the Mets and Brody Van Wagen are going to get skewered in the media. They're going to come off looking like fools, and, and this is an organization that more than just about any other in baseball is very aware and very sensitive to public criticism. So regardless of what their plans might have been at the beginning of spring, I think they're in a spot where they have to take him. And, uh, you know, how much they play him, how much it, it, we'll see. But I think Pete Alonso is going to be there, and that to me makes the Mets an even more interesting and, and potentially dangerous team on opening day. That's a good thing. We're running out of time, so we got a couple more questions, but I do want to say that Pete Alonso, I can make a case that he's a top three player on the Mets, maybe top four if you want to include the three pitchers. Um, but my other, the other things I, I have to get to, there's been a ton of rumors about Noah Syndergaard going all the way back to like midway through last season uh and and apparently there was some real there was a lot of smoke coming from the padres trying to land thor is there any real fire to that rumor or do you expect thor to remain a met no from day one i expected him to remain a met i still do uh and it goes back to what i said earlier about pitching depth i just don't think the mets have enough to trade a potentially stud pitcher like that i don't see them doing it i don't think they could survive a deal like that and still be competitive uh you know without doing nine other different things and obviously they can't go back in time and sign patrick corbin or trade for Corey kluber or anything like that and from the start it just seemed illogical to me uh you know you're going to trade noah Syndergaard for prospects and then trade prospects for Corey kluber it never really made a ton of sense to me so i think Syndergaard's here for the long haul which means at least the next two seasons and after that we'll see if uh, if the Mets don't kind of live up to their their billing, even with all all the different moves, I mean we we've covered the the NL East top to bottom for the past couple weeks, and we know that this division is going to be a really tough one. Uh, do you think that let's say that they finish fourth place? Because if they finish behind the Marlins, the answer to this question is definitely yes. But uh, do you think do you think Mickey Callaway uh, could be on the hot seat? Yes, I do. I, I think the Mets have high hopes for this season. I think if they're falling out of contention in mid-May, I think absolutely Mickey Callaway will be on the hot seat. I think he 
knows that and understands that uh, because there are expectations for this team. And while I don't think it would be fair to look at this Mets roster in the context of the NL East right now and say playoffs are bust because there's four really good teams in the division right now, I do think it's fair to say this team is good enough to compete. This team is good enough to be in it in August, in September. And if they're heading down a path that looks like last year where they're out of it very early in the season, yeah, I, I think for sure uh, the manager, his coaches are going to pay the price for that. All right, so two more questions here before we let you go. Uh, you, we were just talking about uh, BVEW being super splashy, and I don't know if there was a splashier offseason move than Jessica Mendoza getting added to the front office as a baseball advisor. What is being expected of her in the fan base, and what are you guys, as far as the beat reporters, what are you guys really expecting from her? It's a good question. I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I'm anxious. I'm interested to find out. I think in the past – you know, you see hires like this, not necessarily like this, but you see teams bring on, uh, you know, maybe a prominent player from their past or maybe uh, someone, uh, a splashy name, someone that people know. And, uh, you know, it's an advisor. They come to spring training. They, you know, spend a couple of days in front of a camera and it looks cool and whatever. But the Mets have been pretty insistent that with these hires and Jessica Mendoza is probably the most nationally prominent of them, uh, that these are not just titles on business card these people are going to do actual things to help the team and in mendoza's case uh brody van wagenen has said you know he's going to have her go and and really help some of these players in the areas of fitness and nutrition uh things that obviously she's been very good at in her softball career and, and has some experience doing so we'll see we'll see how it all uh shakes out how often she's actually around the team the specific things she does to help versus just kind of being Again, a name on a business card, but going by Brody Van Wagenen's words, it's it's going to be uh, something of a little bit of prominence, something with a little bit of weight behind it, more than just we're going to issue a press release and have this be a you know a fun hire. It's a very interesting thing. I think that might be the most interesting thing of the entire offseason for the Mets to me. I want to see what she does and how she how she handles being in a front office and also still on game day. So I'm, I'm kind of interested to hear that. But we know you got to go. So we've done this with every single person we've had on from all the other teams. you got to handicap the division for us before you go. <laughs> it's probably the hardest year that uh, and uh, you know people ask every year. And this is honestly – I've been covering baseball since 2007. I've been on the Mets beat since 2010. This is probably the hardest year to pick the division winner. I think how it's all going to shake out. But I will try. I do think uh, I would put the Phillies and the Nationals a small cut above the Mets and the Braves. I, I think, you know, probably two teams come out of this division and make the playoffs, and I would pick the Phillies and the Nationals. Uh, let's say in that order right now. Uh, probably the Mets and the Braves are both – just a cut behind and the Marlins, you know, will be about 45 games out. But if the Mets make the playoffs, if the Braves make the playoffs, if they win the division, if the Nationals miss the playoffs, Phillies miss the playoffs, none of that would surprise me. I think these are four teams that are all really, really close within a win or two of each other. And it's going to be who's the healthiest. It's going to be who gets that key season from a guy we're not expecting uh, because it's going to happen all over. And, and we'll see, you know, if Jacob DeGrom gets hurt, the Mets aren't going to compete. Bryce Harper gets hurt. I don't think the Phillies are going to be there. So you can go down the line. You can pick a guy from every team. 
uh, we'll see how it shakes out. These are four really talented teams, and it's going to be a, a very fun division to follow this summer. Seems to be the one thing that we hear every time we ask that question. Everybody says kind of the same thing. Uh, Four-game swing. Anybody could win it. Anybody could lose it. But we are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get to uh, Doc and I discussing it. So before we go, thank you one more time, Anthony DeComo, Mets beat writer for MLB.com and on Twitter, at Anthony DeComo. Yes? You got it. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. Everybody out there, make sure you give him a follow. Best Mets reporter out there. I know you guys aren't Mets fans, but Tacoma does great work. So go out there and give him a follow. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by the new bestseller from TPS Publishing, 101 Places to Avoid Before You Die. Join us and discover why you should never consider going to places like Gary, Indiana, Stockton, California, Griffin, Georgia, and why you should avoid the entire state of Nebraska like the plague. This updated edition also includes a full-page layout demonstrating why you should not go to North Dakota in the winter or Tampa, Florida ever for any reason. Our newest masterwork also discusses why you should stay home instead of going to places like the DMV, the airport, the county fair, any buffet-style restaurant, or church on Wednesdays. 101 places to avoid before you die. Patent pending. Come smoke a cigarette and let your hair down. Then pray for the rain to go away. I'm trying to forget. I let us both down. Then pray for the sun to come again. I never thought I could feel so small. You're the one that can't live without attention. Welcome back, everybody, to your favorite podcast, The Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by our friends at TickSplits. TickSplits.com is the newest and most innovative form of ticket purchasing for any sports or concert venues. TickSplits, a great new company, realizes that seat fees are just a dumb thing to charge, so you know what? They just don't do it. You just buy the seat and that's it, the way it used to be. You don't need to pay an extra seat fee for the privilege of buying an online ticket. The tickets are expensive enough, so TickSplits.com, go there, and you know what? If you use our promo code, armchair they're going to give you five percent off of your ticket value right there at the end of it so not only do you not have to pay a seat fee you're going to save some money too so if you got a family of four it's not just you going to game you can't beat the deals they got going on at tick splits go there use our promo code armchair now we really enjoy talking to anthony DeComo. we're going to have another guest on for you here in just a little bit but before we do doc and i and our friends at armchair all americans and our friends on the grueling truth network we felt that uh, we should give you a little bit of our thoughts about some of the things happening around baseball uh i guess first things first we are in the last week of spring training we are was we're actually a week from today i believe is opening day unless we start on wednesday i can't remember is it wednesday or thursday that we have our first game 25th Uh, so thursday thursday yeah uh 28th yeah so a week from today the braves will have their first game and most of the spots in camp have been pretty nailed down everybody's pretty much penned into their role except for the bullpen and starting rotation so as we really get into some of these final games you know we always say that spring training numbers aren't super super crazy important but for these guys when you're trying to get some separation between some of these young guys these last starts are the most important ones they'll make all spring and unfortunately for kyle wright what had been an incredible spring this entire march 
kind of evaporated right before his eyes today. So he gets shelled for six runs, uh, only lasted two-thirds of an inning, tripled his ERA, I believe. Uh, or doubled it at least. So I don't know how you feel about it. The problem is that's going to be what people are going to take away from it because it's so soon to the regular season. They're going to look at this start and be like, wow, not strong for him. But uh, how have you felt so far about uh, about all the people pushing for spots? You know, this thing with Wright for me, it doesn't really change a lot for me because his, his ERA was three coming into this game, and then he got shelled. And now if you look too deep into the into the stats as as a whole, you're going to say, well, this guy had an ERA over seven in spring training. How could you possibly give him a, a rotation spot uh, to break camp? But it's similar to Tukey. You know, you you look at Tukey's numbers as on the whole, and you say, well, this guy doesn't look like he's very good. But outside of the one inning, he was dynamite. You know, so um, I still think that uh, that these guys are, are very well set up for for making the club right out of spring training. Uh, I think that. They are partially aided by the fact that Fulte is uh, is not gonna not gonna make the OD roster. Gossman could, but even that's not written in stone for now. Um, I think everything's gonna be gonna be all good. But I, I will say, um, any time that you get six hung on you in the first inning and you don't make it out of that inning, that is bad news. That's bad. That's bad bad news. And so you want there to be confidence builders throughout. You know, if somebody's gonna have. Um, a bad inning like that, you definitely want it to be in spring training. But uh, yeah, this, this was not my not my favorite outing of his. But I, I don't really think it affects everything for him. Do you think it would have affected anything if it were a different pitcher? Because Kyle Wright has been getting all the love from the front office this this entire off season leading up through spring training. So I don't know that I think that it. I don't think it affects Kyle Wright the same as it would affect, say, Max Freed if he had gone out there and gotten shelled. I think the narrative would have been a little bit different or if Bryce had gone out there and gotten shelled or or even Tukey. I think with Kyle Wright, with the amount of praise he's had heaped on him, I don't think that it just washes that away in one start. It does, though, when you're talking about four guys who have been incredibly incredibly close to each other as far as having great springs and really having better springs than any of the quote-unquote veteran pitchers, I do think that there is a little bit of play there. When you start looking at how they progress towards the end of spring training, after some other people starting to see them a few times, after they start facing more of the major league lineups, I think that any degree of separation could be what costs you a starting rotation spot. Uh, and for guys like Kyle Wright, that's not as big a deal because I don't think Kyle Wright would be in the bullpen in the majors. I think he would. he's either starting here or he's going to be starting in Gwinnett. But I think if you're talking about Tukey and Max Freed, I think it's a very big deal for them because – their spot is not set in stone, particularly Max Freed, which we've talked about before. I think he gets. I think he's been giving the shaft for like the last three years. I think if he were to go out and get shelled on a start like this, that uh, it would pretty much reinforce that the Braves want him in the bullpen. Talking about that though, you said you mentioned that Kevin Kevin Gosman might not be ready in the opening rotation. Um, I think that I would agree with that. I think that uh, he hasn't done particularly well when facing big league competition this spring. Coming back from some short from some shoulder soreness, I wouldn't be shocked if they skip a turn in, in the rotation for him. Knowing that, say we have two position two pitchers on there. Who are you? Who are you targeting? Who's uh, who's your fifth starter and who's your fill in? Uh, I would go with Wright and Tukey, and I would put Price in the bullpen uh, just because I think. Uh, with Sam Freeman getting getting cut loose today, um, I think. I By think the way, really Braves fans, ev- that sound you're hearing is Braves fans everywhere rejoicing. 
Yeah, I, with, I don't know if there was anybody that was actually disappointed about that. Other than and Ken, hated, other than other than some of our friends at some different podcast networks. You know, uh, Sam Freeman seems like he's just the nicest person that there is, which is beautiful eyes. Bad. Beautiful eyes. Oh yeah, just piercing the the most piercing blue. But uh, it's it's a shame because there's a lot of people in Braves country that just hate that guy's guts. So, but as it pertains to to the rotation battle or the the bullpen battle, I think that Bryce throws strikes consistently. He's going to be, you know, as his changeup continues to come along, and if he's got starter mentality and starter arsenal in a bullpen role, long term Bryce Wilson is a starter. We talked about this last week, but I, I think that in the short term that he might be the most effective in that bullpen role. Freed, to me, is a starter. Wright is a starter. Tukey, I think, to start the season, will will be a starter. This is not to say that he couldn't wind up in a, in a bullpen role eventually, but I think that for right now, as it pertains to uh, what will be the end of March and the start of April for 2019, I think Bryce Wilson gets a spot in the bullpen. Now, I'm going to say that it's going – I told you guys last week I'm not going to count out Bryce Wilson anymore, and I'm going to stick to that. I think most assuredly Max would be my fifth starter. Uh, I think that he has far and away earned that. I think he's earned that through his starts last year as well. Uh, he's just shown consistently that if you let him start, he does great things. He carries a super high K rate. His walk rate is not nearly as bad as a starter because most of Max Fried's walks happen early on in outings, whether it's his first inning or not. If you have him as a starter, those get mitigated, and they're no longer sitting at uh, the, the, four, the four walks per nine that he gets as a reliever is very misleading. Uh, but I think, and I've told you guys before, I think Max is better than Sean Newcomb. So I, I personally, I would have Max be in the rotation today. Uh, as far as the fill-in guy, I'm going to say Bryce because I think they can feel confident, number one, that Bryce is going to go out there and give you at least five innings. He's going to pound the strike zone. Now, whether he gets hit or whether he's putting people out, that's the thing with Bryce. You know he's going to be around the plate. Uh, he's consistent. His pitches are all fairly consistent. They're not they're not super wowing type of pitches, but he has the, a, a great mentality. Uh, he's got a lot of a lot of stamina in that arm. He pumps pretty whatever he's thrown in the first inning, he'll throw in the fifth inning. And mostly because I think with this bullpen still being kind of unsettled, I said this on uh, for uh, the piece that we did with Walk Off Walk. If you guys haven't read it yet, go to thesportsdaily.com. You can check it out under the under the Walk Off Walk tab there. Uh, Doc and I wrote with them a little bit last week uh, that Tukey gives you such a different dynamic out of the bullpen where it's not like Max Freed where you're counting on Max to be that multiple-inning guy. Tukey's guy you look at and you point to guys like Rysel Iglesias, guys that can start, or Rysel was a starter. Now, Tukey, I think, is a better starter than Rysel would have been, but you point to them as a starter. You point to Tukey's arsenal of his fastball and his curveball or his curveball and his changeup if his fastball is not locating. And he could be a potential elite piece where it doesn't look like the Braves are going to sign Craig Kimbrell. Maybe now that you've opened a spot and on the, on the uh, 40 man, maybe if you got, uh, you know, you got a little itchy trigger finger there and Craig's not wanting to sit out too much longer. Maybe you might see that fairly soon. I don't know. We'll talk about that with our next guest coming up. But to me, I would err towards the dynamic two key in the closer spot, because I don't think there's a large degree of difference consistently start to start anyway between him and Bryce. I think Max is above the other three. And as it pertains to Max Freed, I have also been banging the drum for him for a long time. And you're right. He has been getting the shaft for a really, really long time. His, his bad 2017 notwithstanding, because that was, um, 
that was just weird. There was a lot of tiny little nagging things that happened. But there's something that kind of makes me wonder whether or not he's already got that locked down, and it doesn't even necessarily pertain directly to Freed. This is something that uh, Anthopolis went and said on, on the radio today. He said, Oh, I wish you wouldn't say this right now. <laughs> Should we table this? Just do it. You've already spilled the beans. Go ahead. All right. Well, he said, we're going to surprise people the way we break camp. We're taking the best guys. We don't care how much time you ha- how much time you have. If you throw strikes and have stuff, you'll get the ball. Which to me, he's looking directly at Sean Newcomb in the eye and saying, "You cannot throw strikes. You have walked more than literally anyone." Seven point so nine walks per nine innings for Sean Newcomb this this spring. That's so many. Even even last year's version of Sean Newcomb is laughing at this year's version of Sean Newcomb, right? So when I look at this opening day rotation. It's not even that I think that that Newcomb's not going to be in it, but I think that that Freed is a guy who has proven that he can get big leaguers out. This isn't just like Kyle Wright having a good spring. It's not just Tuki Toussaint um, piggybacking off of what he did last year. I mean, Max Freed is the real deal. So to me, I've I've already got him written in there. And if you've got Fulte and Gossman starting the season on on the IL, that's the first time I've ever not referred to it as the DL. I know you wanted to. Oh, I, I thought about it. I really considered it, but uh, but yeah, I I think Freed's in, and and I think that because at that point you've got Tehran and and Nuke as your only solid guys in there, like for the for the very first pass through. So um, I think that that you can make a case for um, for Freed already being in there. And I, I think that uh, Wright, Tukey, and Bryce all will break on that OD roster based a lot on that statement. Uh, but whether or not that they wind up strictly. Uh, written in pen in a rotation or bullpen role. I think, I think it's going to be. I hate to use that F word again, but I think it's going to be very flexible. I I just think I think Max has has earned this opportunity. I think he deserves a spot in the rotation. Uh, not just you know not just because he's pitched well this spring, but because it's time. You know he's what twenty four, twenty five. He's done the due, he's done the due diligence. He's been in the bullpen. He's performed well out of the bullpen. It's time to let him be the player you thought you were getting in the deal with the Padres. Let him take that step. And I I wrote about this in that article that you got to let one of these guys grab that rotation spot and lose it themselves. You've got to let them grow into it. And I think Max is a guy that I have, like I said last week. If you give Max Freed the ball and you tell him you get the ball every fifth day he's going to flourish in that role, and you're going to think that you were an idiot for ever keeping him locked in the bullpen. So how, however it shakes out with the other ones, uh, whether, whether whoever you want to use, whether you want to use Bryce, whether you want to, want to use Tukey for a spot start, I don't really care. I think one of those two will find themselves in the rotation by the end of the season, but I think most assuredly Max Freed has earned that fifth starter role. Uh, we got some other stuff we want to talk about too, so we got to kind of hurry this up a little bit. Um, if you haven't heard the news, uh, Mike Trout got extended, and I don't know whether to be happy or sad. It's like I'm happy that he's not going to be a Philadelphia Philly. I'm super ecstatic about that. Uh, I'm very, very sad that he's not going to be a Brave, so I am officially going to be an Angels fan as well. Um, they'll, they'll just be my Braves West. But was it 12 years and $430 million? And that is so much money, but I still can't help but thinking, hey, great deal. Right? Like, at what point is somebody making almost half a billion dollars than getting underpaid still? Because annual value, like... He's 470 he's million. It's like, from what he's done to the first seven years in his career has been worth, relatively speaking, uh, was it 
per war to dollar value. He's been worth about $470 million. So even still, technically, he's underpaid. It's unreal. I mean, and this is the guy, like, and there <laughs> This is the guy that everybody knew was going to get this right, and like we we talked about one like, week, the, <laughs> one week after Bryce Harper, or was it less than a month? I'll say less than a month, so probably two weeks. And he he got less years, but he got a hundred million more dollars. I mean, you can you can make the case like you can look at a guy like Mookie Betts, you can look at a guy like Francisco Lindor, and say that dude is about to get paid, but nobody's getting Trout paid like this. You know, Giancarlo had the record, and then. Um, then Bryce, Bryce broke it, and like I don't think anybody's gonna break this one. Well, no, you know they, I mean? they're just gonna point to that, and at least until maybe we don't know what Acuna will be looking at in six years, which we're gonna discuss a little bit later. Um, the one thing that this makes me look at, though, is um, you realize he's only getting paid per year. He's only getting paid one million more than Zach Greinke. Yeah, yeah. As far as effectiveness goes, I mean, I mean he's not even <laughs> taking a, a giant raise from what he's getting now because he's no. Right now, he gets like thirty-two when you consider all the incentives and everything. Yeah. So, so I mean, this is a great deal for the Angels. Do you think Art? Do you think Art Moreno just slid a check over to him and said, "Just, just write something on here and we'll pay it"? Sure, sure. I mean, that's. Um, I think that, that he knew that it was gonna, that the number was going to start with a four. You know, um, just so, just remember, yeah. we have to field another eight players, please. Right, and and now now the pressure the pressure was on Moreno before to lock Trout up long term, right? And they did that, so now there's even more pressure to say, okay, now you have to get you have to surround him with the rest of the talent, and they've got Simba, and they've got Upton, they've, and, got, and they've talent. got Jordan, Adel, they've got talent. It's just not in the pitching department like their starting rotation has been their weakness for like the last six years they've had some good names like garrett richards is a great pitcher he just breaks an arm if you like breathe heavily on him and that's been the problem with all of their pitchers is they get hurt all the time they're almost like the mets in that regard except it's only with the starting rotation i've never seen anything like it and they they have a have kind of a rough road right now i mean houston is in that same division and and god knows they are freaking wonderful and uh yeah you have A's to win a wild last year they won they won 97 so i mean the the rays won 90 games as the third yeah. place team in a division so yeah there's there's a lot to battle for one wild card spot uh because i think we can assume that the rays are are going to be either the rays or the yankees will get one wild card spot so it's a great thing. I'm glad for Mike Trout. You can't say he doesn't deserve us. He, he's he is the best player of our generation for certain, uh, and I really feel that he's going to be the best player of all time. He's on that track. When when you when you have to go back, all the way back to grab Mickey Mantle to compare to what a player is doing today, that lets you know something. And would you like to know something else? Mike Trout is far and away more of a physical specimen than Mickey Mantle ever was. Well, Mantle was also a drunk. So the fact right. that he was able That's to my do thing. what he was doing while he was hammered, honestly. That's pretty, That's impressive. pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. But think about it this way. If Mickey Mantle wasn't such a drunk, he might not have tripped in that hole in center field and been stuck in left and uh, right field for the rest of his career. Trout is built like a tree. Like there is no hole in the world that could break Mike Trout's ankle. He would just he'd step in that hole and the hole would just say sorry and and just move away. Like it's just Just close up on its own. Yeah, (laughs) right. No, I can't hurt this guy. But uh, 
I, I think it's great for baseball. I think it's great for travel. A lot of people are whining about, oh, it's a small market. He should have gone to the Yankees. You're telling me that I can have half a billion dollars and still go to the Mexican restaurant without somebody, without 2,500 people coming up asking me for an autograph? That is the life, man. That That's it. That is the life. Well, and when we had John Stolness on, friend of the program, John Stolness, he talked about the extension for Aaron Nola. And he said, you know, he didn't want to necessarily be that guy who is just the the hundred million dollar man. He's just a good, humble guy. And it's the same thing with Trout. I mean, you can see it any any interview with him. He's like that's as down to earth of a superstar as you're gonna find. He's he's such a just you know, I'm just going out and doing my job. But if I happen to make thirty five million dollars a year, I mean the guy's making three million dollars a month. That's so, know, and I can't be mad at him for it, especially now that he's not going to the Phillies, which that was always my, my biggest worry. So Good on Mike Trout. Good on the Angels for keeping you. You can't be the team that lost the best player of all time. So good on them. Yeah. Uh, but some other yeah. guys getting paid. By the way, Eloy Jimenez getting a guaranteed deal before he ever plays in the majors. Before he ever gets a major league at bat, was it seven and seventy five? Could be worth as much as eighty million if he meets all the incentives. And I think this was a great idea for one simple reason. Now you don't have to worry about the stupid service time. Yeah, and and uh, and last year when Scott Kingery did this, he got like six and twenty four before he same thing, like before he ever <laughs> totally got, different caliber of player. Well, well, true, but I mean, it was, and which is kind of makes it even even more puzzling that um, that something like that wound up happening. But it was like you're looking at a guy who's never played in the majors and he's getting a a six year contract, which fantastic team savings for the Phillies on the Kingery deal, even if he doesn't wind up being anything special but Jimenez is like the top five like top three prospect in all of baseball so if they're looking at six and 43 for him and long term like eight and 80 I mean that buys out all of his arbitration or all of his pre-arb all of his arb and and two years years of free agency agency. which means that if he performs like everybody expects and like it looks like he will then he's gonna far surpass that contract but he's got the financial stability now to where like he doesn't have to worry about playing in the minors he can just go in and play ball uh he doesn't have to press for anything he doesn't he has to have he doesn't have to worry about contract here for another eight years so it's a great deal for them blake snell al cy young winner or yeah al cy young winner uh gets a five-year 50 million dollar extension so buys out the rest of his arbitration uh and one year of free agency uh i'm a little shocked that he only got 10 million a year especially coming off the year that he had i think it's a good deal for both teams honestly because he was making, you know, he wasn't happy about only making $567,000. And why would you be when you performed the level that he did? So he gets to get $10 million. The Rays didn't have to go crazy overpriced for a team that does, frankly, doesn't have a lot of money and doesn't usually keep its stars. This is great. And if down the road, the Rays decide that they have, that they need to trade Blake Snell for prospects like they usually do, there's no, there's not a no trade clause in there. So he can still be dealt to any team. So I, I think it's a perfect deal for both sides. Agreed. I think that, that Tampa is so wise to do this. They did the similar thing with Evan Longoria, where they, they just, you know, you, you've been up for this long. We're going to throw all this money at you. Please don't leave. We can't, we can't <laughs> right. afford for you to get expensive. Literally, we can't afford that. So please sign this contract. And he did. And he was very vocal. Same thing with Alex Bregman getting, uh, getting six and a hundred. And I think both of those are, are very good deals. Six and hundred for Bregman is an absolute steal, especially when you look at what he looks to project the next couple of years. Uh, so, so it's good time now with all the free agency that was so hard to to get people paid. As soon as free agency's ended, man, extensions seem to be the way to go. And uh, 
nobody's really wanting to get to that free agency time. We'll see how this goes. Uh, we've, we've got some questions about whether it will pertain to the Braves or not, but we're going to get to those with our guest. Coming up next, it will be the AJC's Greg or Gabe Burns. I don't know why I was about to say Greg Gaines, but um, <laughs> I don't even the know that's a real person. I don't even know if that's a real person. But um, <laughs> coming up after the break, the agency's Gabe Burns will be joining us as we get to as we start to focus on the Atlanta Braves and what it means for them as the season starts next week. So stay tuned. We'll be we'll be right back right here on the Platinum Sombrero. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by your dumbass. Are you frustrated with your pet donkey? Does he lack the mental skills necessary to master botany, quantum physics, or even basic algebraic equations? Well, fret not. There's still hope for your dumbass. After enrolling in our rigorous program, your beast of burden will be a burden no more. We guarantee IQs in the high teens, which, if we're being honest, is pretty high for a donkey. We can't make him a smartass, but we can keep him from being a dumbass. Your dumbass. Patent pending. And welcome back for the final segment of the show. Joining us now, the sultry tones of Gabe Burns from the AJC. Gabe, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me on. I, I like the introduction. I mean, it's been so long since we've had you on. You and Ben Ingram have like, I'm, I'm sure we've told you this before. We might have told you on the first ever podcast. You and Ben have like the two greatest voices of all time for radio. Like, it, it's insane. <laughs> You should hear our conversations at dinner, though. I mean, I can just imagine. I mean, I would imagine nobody else is speaking. They're all just kind of like leaning a little closer just to hear those two voices. I prefer I prefer Ben's to mine, but you know, hey, I mean, everyone's got their kind of their taste. Well, we're working on we're working on getting him on here too. That way, you can hear what it's going to be like for both of you guys to be on radio. And I'm going to mix go. I'm going to mix and match answers between you and Ben and see if people can actually pick out who is who. Sure. Sure. So you spent this entire spring training down in Florida soaking up awesome sunshine and looking at pretty women and just having a good old time. Uh, what are your thoughts on as we're getting closer now to opening day and uh, you had to come back home now? What were your what were your final thoughts? Uh, I think the team I think the team's going to be pretty good, but we don't know. We don't know how good it's. I think there's more questions than answers uh, since we went down there in mid-February. Uh, come back up here now, and we're wondering who's going to make up this rotation and who's going to make up this bullpen. The only thing that you can really feel pretty good about is if healthy, the offense is going to be one of the best in the NL. I mean, I feel pretty confident saying that. If Josh Donaldson can stay healthy or be healthy for a large chunk of the season, I mean, he's going to make a big difference. He's looked fantastic this spring. I think he's he brings a lot of energy, you know, like, we, uh, we overplayed the whole Acuna-Ozzie energy angle last year, talked about what a difference it made having guys like that in the clubhouse. But Donaldson, he's kind of the veteran version of that. Uh, every single swing in the cage is like game seven to him. I mean, he takes everything extremely seriously. But he's really loose. He's easy to talk to. He's get already getting along with a lot of people. He carries himself with a lot of confidence, which I think is 
is a good thing because it doesn't. I I don't think it borderline it borders arrogance, but I mean some might see it that way. Um, so you have him, you have Acuna, of course, who I've written. I mean, he's definitely he should be an MVP finalist if he stays healthy. I mean, he really is just. It feels like he's going to explode. He's going to be hitting cleanup. I know that kind of. <laughs> that ignites a lot of debate. It actually but, ignites us. We haven't actually talked about it yet. We waited for you. Oh, well, I mean, obviously, I mean, regardless of which you would prefer, I mean, that could be really big for his numbers, um, which is going to factor into the MVP argument. So he's going to have a huge year. Freddie is Freddie's Freddie. Ozzy is going to be kind of a big deal to kind of find out who you, what you have there as far as first half versus second half. You know, Marcakis, kind of a similar story. You want to see everyone. We talked a lot about his decline last year, how he just kind of kept getting worse. So it's going to be it's going to be important for them to kind of capture more of the early form than the late form, of course. And they're feeling like, you know, we can give him more days off. We can give him more of a break, and maybe that will be possible. Now, we talk about days off. You know, is Adam Duvall going to end up staying on the team? Don't know. He didn't have a particularly impressive spring. He had that one game with two homers. Did essentially nothing else. Tamargo and Culberson are an awesome bench duo for him. Going to play all around the field. Tamargo's uh, uh, going to be in the outfield. So, I mean, they're good there. So, the offense, I mean, there's plenty to be excited about if you're a Braves fan. You're looking at the offense, and it's like, okay, well, this, this group is going to be really strong. It's going to be tougher, especially all the NLEs, the DeGroms, Nolas, all Scherzer's, all those guys, it's still going to be tough for them. Now on the negative end, there's the pitching. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, well, I mean, it's not totally negative. Max Freed's has looked great. Kyle Wright, I mean, all, he had that bad game today, but besides that, he's looked great all spring. Bryce Wilson has looked really good. Their young guys are kind of coming together and stepping up where they need them to. And like, okay, well, we can rely on these guys. I wasn't mm-hmm. sure... One of the reasons why I thought the team should go get another veteran stars because I wasn't sure if they're to the point that they really want to rely on these kids. But, honestly, injuries have kind of put them in a position where they're going to have to. Uh, Fulte's out, of course. Gosman, there's a, I th- I'm starting to think there's a pretty good chance that he's going to open the season on the DL, miss his first start after they kind of said, well, he'll be ready for it. I mean, they might as well you know, give him some time. So you're looking at Julio and then – bunch of kids following him in the rotation uh right i definitely think should open the year and he should stay in the rotation i mean as long as he's you know not struggling i think that's the guy that kind of factors in the whole year tukey can come tukey and bryce both of those guys rotation both and free all three of them um you know they're gonna kind of be wherever you want them to be bullpen is such a question mark uh aj mentor and Darren O'Day, they were counting on Darren O'Day. They kind of hyped him up as essentially a free agent acquisition. Um, but he's, I mean, until you really see him, until you see him healthy and out there pitching, you can't rely on him for any kind of difference. And AJ Minter is, you know, he's down. That's kind of one of your co closers. Viz, you never really know with injuries with him. So the whole thing is just kind of a huge question mark. So if you're betting against the Braves, then you're probably looking at their pitching staff and you're going, okay, even if a couple of these kids have strong years, there's so many questions in the bullpen right now. You know, we're not – you can't feel great about Fulte or Gosman, even if they're coming back because you don't know if something like that's going to linger or something like that's going to pop back up. So there's definitely a lot of questions for this team. 
The division's a lot better. Uh, it's so when people are saying, well, it, it'll be hard for them to get back to 90 wins. I mean, I, I tend to agree with that, but at the same time, because these, you know, the, because the young pitchers are so talented and because the offense is going to be so good, it still wouldn't be that big of a surprise if they just wind up winning the thing again. I think my biggest thing here that I'm going to take away is I'm very upset that you just threw Max Freed in there like he was, you know, just a throw in. I am a huge <laughs> Max Freed booster here. I think he's more mm-hmm. than earned his rotation spot. You threw mm-hmm. Kyle Wright in there, like, oh yeah, it's Kyle Wright's. Uh, if you're going by, if you're going by, you know, experience of what they've done, I got to feel like Max Max has more than earned that spot, and he's been personally. I think he's better than Newcomb, uh, and I, I think he's done more than enough in starts. But it doesn't really matter what I think. Really, mm-hmm. just matters what they think. What are you hearing about these? The four guys who are really in a battle for the spot: uh, Bryce, Kyle, Tukey, and Max. How how is in the clubhouse and in the front offices? How is it looking? If, if I had to guess, um, and these things are obviously very fluid, but if I had to guess, I would say it's right and free starting. Um, Excellent. Good. That, that would that would be my initial guess, and I'll say with Freed, it's a matter of. Uh, I am really high on Tukey myself, but I think right now Freed is a more reliable option. I think they're kind of more confident in what they're going to get day in and day out from Freed than they are with Tukey. Um, so, you know, and again, these guys can kind of be, they're going to be shuffled. At least some of them will be shuffled down into AAA and back. I hate and, you that know, there's so the service much. time thing. There's just a matter of manipulating the system, which you can still do for the rest of this season, and then the rules are changing, which are going to kind of slow that down. But I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. If I'm if I'm guessing right now, but I mean, they they love Bryce Wilson. Uh, I do think he's going to factor in into the bullpen initially. Obviously, he's going to make some starts too. But they're really impressed by him. And there have been times like I mean, I've I've said a lot about Kyle Wright, but I mean, there have been times Bryce has been the most impressive out of all these guys. He's looked really good. Um, so it'll it'll help them having him come out of the bullpen, and then that kind of makes me wonder, you know, how is where does Tukey fit in there? Are they going to end up having Freed in the bullpen and starting Tukey, or you know? So there's still a lot up in the air. Obviously, the only thing I feel most confident about is Wright will be in the rotation. I mean, that's big well, news as it is. How many times did you get walked by Sean Newcomb while you were down in Florida? Because I feel like. <laughs> Every single person down there has been walked by Sean Newcomb at least once. What it's, is going on with him? It's um, it's concerning. I mean, it's not – everyone says, like, oh, it's spring whenever someone's really good or really bad. It's eight walks I mean, per nine. Like he's going out there and trying to walk people, you know. It's not – Well, right, right. He's, he's making an effort not to do it, and it's still happening. I mean, it's regardless of if it's spring or what. So, I mean, I know I don't. I mean, I don't think that. I mean, Newcomb's going to be in the rotation. I mean, that, I don't think there's any any question with that. I mean, perhaps the leash the leash is shorter because this team is trying to win now. Um, there's not going to be. I do not think that there's going to be that kind of patience that you know even la- even last year. Honestly, you know, I think I think now we're at the point that they they want to win games. They're trying to figure out. Who is going to be here to stay? Who's helping us win? And I, I, the Mike Soroka thing was a was a big blow. Uh, I think everybody felt pretty comfortable saying that he was he was going to be a starter opening up the year. Um, they're counting on him still to make a difference for them. And when he gets back, that's going to factor in as to how all these young guys are used. So I, I mean, him going down like that that was 
he almost feels like a luxury, you know, with the way that we're talking about all these guys. But I, I do think even last year I thought it was a big blow when he went down. But they, but they're hoping to have him back by May, and uh, maybe then if he's healthy and he's pitching well, that kind of that gives them an additional option as to how they want to move these guys around in the rotation. Do you think he gets a solidified spot by the time June rolls around? Assuming he needs some time to to ramp back up in May. I mean, it's it's just going to depend on how he's pitching. I, I think that they're in a they're in a spot where they can just say, you know, we're going to ride the hot hand, and I mean, that's what happens when you have so many of these guys. I think I think Wright should be submit. He he should he should have submitted his spot in the rotation probably by June or July. I, I feel comfortable say, or at least they're they're hoping that's the case. Um, Wright is a permanent fixture there, but everyone else, I could see it going either way. So if we're if we're talking about that, so we're saying there. Now we've got we just named off five names right there of guys who you feel honestly who should be starting pitchers. Now whether they should be starting pitchers on this Braves roster is a different story. But five people we just named yeah. off of who should be starting pitchers on some sort of big league team. When you go through the the rotation, you know Fulty is really the only guy that you feel supremely confident in. And really, he's not that far removed from having big giant questions. Now, after yeah, last I mean, year, even obviously. even now, like uh, obviously, Fulty had a breakout year, but we can't really sit here and just bank on him being the exact same. You know, I mean, you kind you want to see it again, right? Like and once so, is a flash I mean, in the pan. It's not, it's not like you have a, you know, you don't have a Degrom, a guy like that. Okay, we know what we have here. We're plugging this guy at the top of our rotation when we feel good about it. So even Fulty, I mean, for him to be hurt and kind of get off to the start, I mean, it's discouraging for a team that he was the one guy you, you feel like they really needed to keep healthy. Um, assuming that you're getting any semblance of what he produced last year, he was kind of your most – he was your top guy. He was your reliable guy. And now that he's down, it's kind of thrown the rest into a, into a bit of a mess. And kind of following up with your point, uh, Alex said on 680 The Fan today, talked about uh, it's going to surprise a lot of people. They're going to take the best guys. Whoever can throw strikes is who's going to be in the rotation, which obviously feels like a shot at Newcomb there. But Kevin Gosman has not been good in his couple of starts. He had a decent one against all minor leaguers the other day. But as far as facing the big league guys, was not strong. Um, Julio's been surprisingly good this spring yeah. uh, but he's kind of from what I've heard I haven't seen enough of it I've heard he's been fluctuating between sitting 92 like he needs to 92 94 and 86 87 which he does not need to be so when you that's, get to that's the- correct and he also he was re- he had a really great spring last year too and that's not for me I'm not trying to throw cold water on it but it's one of those you kind of want to you kind of want to wait and see how that plays out it kind of seems to me like if, if it's truly going off of a merit-based system where you're going to earn your reps, you could see as many as three potential newcomers in the rotation unless they're just married to leaving Newcomb and Gosman in there. I, I, I mean, it's really hard to say at this point. I think as the year goes on, if, uh, if Newcomb and, and or Gosman were still struggling, I don't think they would be that I don't think the leash would be that long. I, th- I think they might be willing to change things up, insert one of these young guys. I, I mean, it, it depends on how the team's doing. It depends on how they're doing. I mean, I, I wouldn't rule it out. I think what you're getting at is, it's. I mean, it's definitely, it has to be on the table. I mean, these kids are really good. <laughs> you're not just plugging in young guys just to say we have young guys. I mean, these, these guys are pitching beyond 
20, 21 years old, 22. I think Tukey's 22. Well, I mean, they're, they're pitching beyond that. So if they're going to go out and like, they, you know, it's such a cliche to say, oh, we're going to send out those guys to give us the best chance to win or whatever. But, I mean, that's the way they're going to look at it. And especially if they were to get off to a slow start, which we haven't talked enough about their opening schedule, but they've got a pretty hard schedule. Uh, to start the season in April, I mean they're they're playing they're playing a lot of a lot of really good teams. So if they got off to a slow start, some of these guys were pitching poorly. I mean they're going to be skipping starts again. Uh, they're going to have a, essentially a sixth starter. They're going to they're going to implement that again. I, I I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't be that surprised if they ended up moving some guys around. And you you did end up seeing Wilson, Freed, and Tukey in the rotation at the same time. So as it pertains to the bullpen, right, you, you've you got – there's – for as much uncertainty as there is in the rotation, there's plenty in the bullpen as well. And especially with today, Sam Freeman got cut today, which is – I don't think any – even for as many people as wanted that to happen, I don't think anybody actually anticipated that it was going to wind up happening. He was like – he was the sixth-inning guy for years. That was Snickers' guy. So um, – is there anybody in particular that you you see is kind of at the back of the line? Like, I'm, I always I feel bad because I always use Luke Jackson as as my punchline for like everything, but <laughs> a lot of that is because I I kind of don't see any way that he sticks on this roster. I would be much more comfortable with a guy like Wes Parsons. So, kind of where are you on that? I mean, is, has Parsons done anything to get himself in that in that conversation? Is do you think Jackson could could make the team coming out of spring training? Uh, I, I don't, I don't think Jackson will, uh, okay, Parsons, has, Parsons has worked his way into the conversation for sure. Um, he's definitely an option despite the fact Sabatka has had his own walking problems. He's a guy that I think is going to be in it and they're going to get another look at him and kind of see, you know, if there's something to build off of from last year, he was a pretty pleasant surprise. Uh, I still like him. I think, I think there's something there. Um, and then, I mean, they've got – what's one thing is, like, there's a lot of uncertainty in the bullpen, but they actually do have a lot of options. The problem is is that when with Mentor and O'Day out, there's there's it's, the options are just less known. I mean – That's where Tukey comes in. That's yeah, why I think Tukey could be in the bullpen. A guy, yeah, a guy like Tukey comes in, and maybe that's valuable. A guy like Parsons comes in. They're going to they're gonna need, just like last year, they're going to need to hit on a couple of guys and have guys – way outperform expectations and i mean that that's the case with every good team i think i mean every team has a guy like a charlie culberson who kind of just exceeds everything that was expected of him but i mean with the way this thing is looking now health wise they're probably going to need a couple of these guys out of the bullpen to just come out and be like you know wow this, this guy's actually been pretty good now speaking of uh exceeding expectations you finally got to get you got to get a, a real close look at Christian Pache. How'd you come away thinking more impressed, or how much longer do you think it is before Atlanta sees him on the regular? Well, uh, you know, I saw him out in Arizona at the fall league in November, um, and then I saw him pretty routinely. Now he's really impressive. You can tell that he's putting on muscle. You can you can see. I mean, you're, you're looking at guys like okay, yeah. There's there's going to be more power here than you know. He made that ten home run jump, and it's like okay, well we're going to see what the ceiling is here. As far as when he gets up, I mean it. Yeah, he should be competing for spot next year. Um, you know, depending on what you know, you have you have Marquez, and you're going to kind of have a hole there. 
in the outfield. And I mean, I don't know if they're going to be confident enough to bank on him just filling it, depending on what he does this year. But yeah, I, I mean, you're looking at a guy who I think is probably a year away. I continue to just say, <clears throat> you know, we know he's going to be a reliable player. I mean, his defense is going to make him valuable enough. You know, you, you, depending on how the bat kind of blossoms, I guess would be the word, is depending on how valuable this guy ultimately is. And even more impressive than him was Drew Waters, who wasn't, you know, wasn't down as long, but people, a lot of people were speaking extremely highly of him. So he's a guy who could end up coming up quicker than you know too, and then you've got then you've got a good problem because you've got Pasha and Waters who are knocking on the door. So it's you know for all the talk about you know the Braves having all this deep pitching prospects and stuff between those two and Riley um, and Contreras, I mean they've got four premier position player prospects as well. I'm glad you brought up Riley. Actually, um, you know there had been a lot of talk going into the going into the offseason about. Uh, about he's going to get reps in, in the outfield. And he didn't really, at least in game, he didn't get a lot of reps in the outfield. I think he only mm-hmm. played like one or two games. I mean, so is that that's still on the table, or is that just kind of being uh, <clears throat> shipped into the background for now, or what? It was it was definitely put into the background. It surprised all of us. I mean, we, we, asked, we asked Ned about it, and he was basically saying he's going to be working. He's focused on third base and first base. So we said, okay, well, it sounds like the that's the priority. Outfield is on the back burner. Um, we're going to see what they do with him in Gwinnett. Uh, I would think, I mean, I, per, I don't see a reason why you wouldn't be working him in the corner outfield. I don't see what what the benefit of kind of ignoring that is because, I mean, if you've got a guy who could play corner outfield third and first and someone goes down, I mean, he's just making himself that much more valuable to the organization. Right. So I'm not really sure what their idea is as far as him not uh, him not working much in the outfield this spring. Maybe you know they just wanted him to kind of focus on one thing at a time. But I, I don't really have. I, I mean, I I don't have an answer to that. But I would just say that I would think that they would continue, they would go ahead and let him work more in the outfield in Gwinnett just because there doesn't really seem to be a reason not to. I mean, we were told he and Camargo both would be getting outfield innings. The only time Riley yeah. played in the outfield was literally like two hours after I said on 6A to the fan that he wasn't playing in the outfield. But Camargo's only had like two games in the outfield. So I, I'm not sure what's going on there because the idea behind making Camargo a super utility piece is that you get him starters at bats everywhere all over the field. So now it's got me really worried that you're going to bury him on the bench and he's only going to get about 200 to 250 at bats. I mean, we'll we'll see. I, I think that like when you look, just look at this. It just depends on how how they're going to play this. I mean, I think that ultimately Donaldson is going to get in the early going. I think they're going to give Donaldson, you know, a health, you know, a healthy bit of days off early on, which is going to be where Camargo's getting his at bats at that point. And then you got to wonder, like, where's Culberson going to come in? I mean, you don't want you don't, especially Camargo. You don't want him relegated to just being a pinch hitter. I agree with you. Uh, if Dansby's you know, if Dansby ends up struggling again, I mean, maybe this is the time that you finally look at, okay, let's start giving Camargo more significant time there. That's getting a little too far ahead, but, I mean, that is a, that is a fallback option if it comes to it. I just uh, don't understand what more he has to do for people to for, – for the Braves to start thinking that he deserves full-time reps. Uh, Camargo? Yeah. Yeah, uh, he's – 
Yeah, he's he's a great player. Um, obviously, the power really developed last year too, and he really took off. I think ultimately, like when you look at Anthopoulos' moves since he's got here, really the only move that was like what was the Bautista thing, which was you know that was low risk. I mean, it's kind of whatever. It didn't work out, but Camargo really. He was he was the better option there the whole time, and I, I think that looking back, they would they would admit that too. So, and then Donaldson's on a one year deal. You've also got Riley. I mean, there's there's a lot of between that and the and the pitching situation. You have a pretty decent log jam here, which again, that's not the worst thing. It's better than you know the 2016 Braves. <laughs> yeah, it's better than that one that started Ibar and. Um... Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, these are at least, at least you can say that these are good problems to have. Right. No more Alberto Cayaspo starting at third base. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you you had mentioned earlier about about Acuna batting cleanup. Okay. So there's there's going to be all types of different configurations for how how this is going to line up. I mean, he's pretty much even for as good as Freddie Freeman is. I mean, Acuna is like the main attraction anymore. You know, mm-hmm. and and I certainly understand that you know somebody who's going to wind up batting leadoff is going to get over the course of the season get approximately 70 more plate appearances which over the course of 162 games like when you're looking at it game by game it's not going to wind up making a humongous difference but i mean do you kind of if it's up to you you put acuna at leadoff right as opposed to hitting him clean up that's yeah that i mean i'm yeah i maintain that um through spring that if it was up to me i'd hit him leadoff but i was less critical than most about their decision to do cleanup because I, I at least understood it. You know, I didn't think it was absurd, but just given how he took off at leadoff last year, he loved the role. And, and the fact that he publicly stated, I prefer leadoff. That was my thing. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that in itself kind of, you know, that told me like, okay, well, my thinking is right then. I mean, he prefers it. He clearly likes it better. But he, like he's, he's like, he kind of backed off. He's like, I don't care. You know, it's, uh, I'm happy to be playing. I'm happy to be out there. And he gave more political follow up to that. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, he just, he's, he, he's just so dynamic from the leadoff spot. And the idea of having him, Donaldson, and Freeman starting a game, obviously that is, you know, about as good as a top three can be. It's scary. But, uh, yeah. But, uh, I mean, I get where the Braves are coming from, uh, but they're going to end up hitting him fourth. I did, I don't understand how you would risk not having him bat in the first inning. That's my only problem. I'm not huge. Like, lineup construction to me is not something to get overly bent out of shape about, really. Yeah. Um, aside yeah. from, like, and I love what Brian Snicker did a year ago, um, but this mm-hmm. is where you can hear the but. Um he is extremely, extremely attached to the traditional thinking of having a fast guy at leadoff, where he thinks that Ender should be the leadoff guy. If you look mm-hmm. at Ender's stats, really the speed is the only thing that screams leadoff. When you take Acuna out of that leadoff spot, now you're taking away really any threat of extra bases to start off a game, which inherently yeah. drops down what you're getting out of Donaldson and Freeman. So ideally, personally, I'd rather have uh, I'd rather have Acuna hitting second. He'd still get the RBI opportunities. He'd still get more at bats, and rather than batting fourth, where he might not get up in the first inning. I understand the thought that you don't really have a, a true cleanup hitter per se. Although I think Donaldson profiles better there. I'm not sure how I feel about Donaldson getting lineup preference over Ronald Acuna, but I, I think Acuna is going to be Acuna wherever he hits. I would just prefer to see him hit 
in more dynamic situations? Well, with Donaldson, he he and Alex wanted him hitting second. I'm not sure if that's something that was brought up in the negotiation process, but when he signed, we assumed, okay, well, there's your cleanup hitter. That was the initial thought. And, I mean, it was immediately, you know, we're getting, okay, he's going to hit second. And it was pretty settled. It was settled to the point you like, okay, well, again, I don't know if that was something that was brought up in the negotiation process, but clearly it was something that Donaldson has stated. He by far prefers it. So that was his clear preference, and Alex prefers it. So that's kind of why he ended up just slotted into second without too much discussion about it. I'm intrigued by Ozzy at leadoff against lefties. Uh, Snit's been trying that. That's something that I think we're going to see. We're going to end up seeing a lot of. Um, I'm not sure how it's going to play out, but I'm at least intrigued by it. It goes back to that this team does not it didn't really have a clear-cut leadoff guy that you're like okay this is the ideal leadoff guy or okay this is if you're plugging in Donaldson second it's like okay well this is your cleanup hitter then they didn't make that kind of acquisition where many of us thought they would so we thought the lineup would kind of be sorted out that way and when it didn't happen it kind of became more of okay well Acuna is the piece here that they need to decide how he kind of fits this lineup and how they're going to mold the lineup around that. So they end up going with leadoff. And, it, I mean, it's starting – right now it looks like it's going to be Ender and Ozzy leading off, um, which is which is going to be interesting, to, uh, to say the least. So you're looking at that, and then you're going to have Donaldson and Freddie. And like you said, you're running the risk of not having a Cunha hit in the first inning. And I think that's where a lot of people take the most issue with it. Well, it's also important to remember, too, that just whatever happens for opening day or for the, for the first week or two of the season, I mean, the reason we love baseball is because there is just so much of it, you know, and the season lasts forever. Mm-hmm. So if it's, something's not working for the first two weeks in April, if NCRK comes out and goes two for 45 and doesn't take a walk until May, I mean, I think that Acuna could very, very much find himself back. Oh, they wouldn't hesitate. Like, if the offense is struggling, I mean, they have – now they have kind of a blueprint. They're like, okay, well, we need to get this guy back to lead off. I mean, they would be criticized as soon as they do it because it's like, okay, well, why did you move him down in the first place? We all know how that's going to play out. But they at least have something there where it's like if they get off to a little bit of a slow start, okay, why don't we just try Acuna at lead off again and see what happens. And maybe it takes off like it did last year. Maybe it doesn't, but they do at least have that option. And it's better to be to swallow your pride and do the right thing as far as stick with being proud and do the wrong thing. Uh, couple exactly. couple more things here before we let you go. Uh, mm-hmm. We're seeing today has been – it's been like the NFL trade deadline where everybody is just getting extended right now in baseball. I mean, it's just been extensions left and right for all day today. Eloy Jimenez gets his extension, uh, which was a fairly good deal. It can it can be up as high as eight years and eighty million. Um, uh, who else? Who else are we talking about? Um, Bregman and Snell. Yeah, Alex Bregman gets a yeah, six one hundred. How about that Snell deal? That's the big oh, one. When Doc and I talked about it the last segment right before we had you on. That is a huge deal because it covers his arbitration years and it covers one yeah. year free agency at ten million per. There's no no trade clause in there, so he can be dealt to anybody. It really leaves both uh, both parties in the ideal situation. He goes from making five hundred sixty seven thousand to ten million. That's a nice little jump. And now the White Sox <laughs> don't have to play that stupid. Uh, 
service time manipulation with Eloy. They can just say, all right, you're one of the better players on our team. Here you go. Here's your money. It's going to cover all of your all of your arbitration years and up to two of your free agent years. So with that said, according to who you listen to and according to some of Alex's statements about having the cap space, I should say, the salary to be a mid-market team, which nets you anywhere from 130 to 145, since they're not going to be spending that on free agents this year unless they make some mammoth Kimbrel deal, when do you start thinking that maybe they start using this to lock up some of these younger guys, guys like Yohan Camargo, guys like Ozzy Albies, some of these pitchers, or guys like Ronald Acuna? Because I'm telling you the truth, I'd give Acuna a 10-year, $200 million deal right now. Yeah, I think I think with Acuna, it would be almost more of a matter of, you know, if he wants to do it now, uh, it would cost it would cost a ton. I wouldn't I wouldn't expect there to be much of a discount there. It would cost a ton to do to buy out his R beers. Uh, I, I mean, to my knowledge, they haven't they haven't had those discussions. I mean, I'm sure they have. I think Ozzy would be the logical guy to go ahead and try to, you know, get a set set pay there, get him get him kind of hauled in. Because again, with Camargo, they're still trying to figure figure out how he fits in. And I think if you're Camargo, I mean, this might not be the ideal time to kind of do that because you're also trying to kind of prove yourself worthy of more. Uh, and then, I mean, the the most – actually, I said Ozzy. The most logical to me would be Fulte uh, as far as getting something done with him. Um, to my knowledge, there weren't any discussions on that or there haven't been yet, but that would be the guy that it would kind of make sense for them to go ahead and try to work something out there. He shouldn't be – you know, super expensive or anything, but we'll see. Uh, Aaron Nola really got gonna, 10 years. I'm not going to comment too much on that just because I honestly don't know uh, what's in the works, but I'm hopefully going to have a sit down with some people soon and I will talk about that and hopefully have more on that later. We will certainly come back to you on that one because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious to see, like, because if you look at the market value for some of these guys, then in the, the long run, I mean, the, the Snell deal is unbelievable. The Jimenez deal is unbelievable. Even the Bregman deal, him getting six years and $100 million, $16 million AAV for a guy that put up oh, yeah. a seven-and-a-half war season last year. I mean, that's amazing. And when you start looking at a guy like Acuna, it's, it's almost – it's hard to tell what it would really be worth for him because yeah. I think it would – I feel like it would be – it wouldn't be Trout money, and I don't think it would necessarily be Harper money. But I, but then again, I don't, I don't know because because he's still he's still pre arb, you know, he's he's still making. <laughs> and you look 600. at like, and look at what Mookie just pulled in an arb, you know, Mookie. Right. Look at what okay, look well, at what you're him. No how much is it going to take? Forget buying out a year of free agency. How much is it going to take to just take care of the arb years? You know, I mean, look right. at Nolan Arenado. Such a ridiculous deal. I'm not sure that he would even want to. You know, I'm not sure. That he, I would I would think that the Braves would be more inclined to go ahead and do it because he's the kind of guy that I think there's already such an organizational confidence in. Let's try to just go ahead and lock this guy down and keep him here as long as we can. I mean, that's the kind of guy that you want you want to have as the pillar of your franchise for his entire career. Which is why I would immediately throw that 200 million number to him. Hard to turn that down. Yeah, I mean it. I wouldn't have. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. Like that would make a ton of sense. It, again, it kind of falls on Acuna and what he wants to do. If he, you know, depending on how he's trying to maximize his earning power. But yeah, security two hundred million when you're twenty one years old. That's not bad. 
That's a hard thing to say no to. I mean, there, there's it's not a lot bad at all. <laughs> as far as Fulty goes, I think now you've got a cap for Fulty because Fulty's not Blake Snell. He's not Aaron Nola. Mm-hmm. Those guys are getting the same amount per year. Those guys are getting $10 million per year. So I think for Fulty, if the Braves offer you anywhere in that 8 to $9 million a year range, that's ideally what I think you'd be looking at with Fulty. That would be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ozzie's going to be interesting because – whether even if he's more second half Aussie at the plate and he doesn't have the power, he's still so good defensively at second base that he's still an above average player. Yeah. You add in the offensive profile of his first half, or even just a middle ground of the two, and now you're talking about a three and a half win type of player. You know, an all star but not exceptional player. Now you're talking about one of the top five second basemen in baseball, which is why it might. It's probably in his best interest to just go ahead and hold off. Um unless the Braves wanted to go ahead and try to pay for what they anticipate, which I doubt that's the case. But I like – but Fulty would – I could see that one getting done. Just he he likes it. He likes it in Atlanta. Now what about uh, – really, uh, I, I meant to ahead. say this one. What if I threw Freddie Freeman? His contract is up in 2021. Now I know that's a little bit down the road, but you're talking about if you start to let Freddie's run its course – now you're going to start entering the range where you have to be really diligent with your cap space because all of these all of these guys that we're talking about, Acuna, Ozzy, Swanson, Camargo, Soroka, Tukey, all of these guys come up for they come up for, for free agency on the same year. They're all like a couple years. 2023, I think, is the year that they're all free agents. Mm-hmm. Would you be surprised if they tried to rework Freddie's deal a little bit, extend him to maybe his age 37 year? I'd be surprised if they did it anytime soon, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened next winter. Um, that's a guy. That's a guy they want to keep. He wants to stay. I. I mean, no one's really thinking about that yet. Um, that is obviously really far ahead, but it wouldn't be a surprise when you start to factor in, and when they're trying to get maybe some extensions done for some of these guys, when they're trying to get faulty locked in. They're trying to get Acuna locked in. If they're trying to get Ozzy locked in, it would make sense to maybe go ahead and get the Freeman thing taken care of. At the same time, you know, maybe there's injuries. I mean, maybe there are situations that they wouldn't necessarily want to go ahead and do that yet. I don't think that's the case, but that's always a possibility. You realize that what you were (laughs) just was really their window. Like these next couple of years is kind of their window to spend big without consequence. And they've already, I mean, they went ahead and gave the money to Donaldson, but, you know, they didn't do anything else this winter. And you're looking at just a couple more that they can really spend without necessarily worrying about paying their own guys. But that doesn't last forever. And all this cheap young talent they've accumulated is going to end up costing them. So that's why I keep saying like this, this is a pretty important window these next couple of years as to how they maximize it, because these guys are not going to be cheap forever. I just want you to realize what you obliquely referenced, that the Braves perhaps would not extend Freddie Freeman by the time his contract was up. I want you to realize... Oh, no, 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 no. I meant, I meant, I meant go ahead and extend him, like, go ahead and offer him an extension like now. Okay. I thought you were saying that maybe there might be an injury along the way no, and they wouldn't no, want to no. extend him that, far, that no, much further. I, uh, I'm pretty, pretty confident he's going to be a Braves' entire career. Good. I think that that almost that's has what, to be. That's what both parties want. He's definitely the kind of guy who liked Chipper. It's easy to see him taking a discount to stay, especially when you're looking at what they're going to have to spend for 
you know, Acuna, Ozzy, keep some of these guys in, he would be more than happy to sacrifice his own money for that to happen. And that it, and honestly, you, I cannot envision a Braves team that doesn't have Freddie Freeman on it. I, I, yeah, he's definitely the. Uh, he really took over the chipper mantle, and he and he's done it well. He's uh, he's really everything you could want. I mean, I haven't spent a ton of time in other clubhouses, um, so I can't speak with the experience of a lot of other seasoned beat writers. But he really is everything you want out of a franchise player, as far as you know, being the face of the organization, answering questions after big wins, answering questions after brutal losses, helping some of the young guys. He's just he really is just everything they could want as far as a foundational guy for the franchise. All right. Final question. We had Anthony DeComo on the show earlier today, and we've done this with everybody yeah. who's covered every teams in the division. So <laughs> now it's up to you. You gotta handicap the division. Give me the winners, the one through four, because I think we can all agree the Marlins are gonna be a wasteland. Yeah, we, we definitely all agree on that. I've actually been asked this a few times these last couple of days. Um so before spring training, I had the Mets at one. Um, wow! Yeah, I, I had the Mets at one earlier in the off season. Uh, I don't anymore. I have the Phillies at one now. I probably go Phillies, Braves, Nationals, Mets. I like the Braves love there. I do worry about the Nationals a little bit, but I do like that Braves love. To be fair, as soon as the Nationals or as soon as the Phillies got Harper and Real Muto, that was kind of a coup. Like that that's that's not good for the rest well, of the division. Say, I mean, this happens in every sport um, when a team will go out and make these huge moves and acquire these stars and it doesn't unfold the way they hoped. There's definitely reasons you can look at Philly and you can convince yourself this team's not going to be as good as some think it's going to be on paper. So it's not like, again, I wouldn't be surprised if the Braves end up winning the division. I wouldn't be surprised if the Nationals win the division. I mean, but I mean, it's just hard when you look at these teams like, okay, I think it's safe to just call Philly the favorite unless you just go off of, okay, well, the Braves are the defending champs. Until they drop off or look bad, they should be considered the favorite. I, I, I'm fine with either of those uh, either of those takes. I think that's pretty how close many, to how. Go ahead. How Doug. many games do you, do you think the Marlins win this year? Like, realistically, because we talk about how good the four teams are, but I don't think that we fully highlight how bad Miami is really going to be. Like, there's a real possibility that they could not win 50, right? I, I don't know. I mean, my my initial thought was, like, 60 and 102. It's um, really hard to not to win to not win more than 50 games. Like, yeah. I think I mean, even I, Baltimore. I, mean, I think they'll end up in the low 60s. I, I mean, that's – but – yeah, I mean, they're going to be bad, and this division is going to be very good, so you don't know. I mean, I, and really, like, I, the whole NL, I mean, besides them, the NL is pretty respectable. I mean, like, we're talking about, like, off-air, we're talking about Arizona. I mean, Arizona, you know, 75-win team or whatever. San Diego is going to be better. I mean, even if you said, okay, San Diego's at 78 wins. Pittsburgh, probably, what, mid-70s? Um so, I mean, these teams are respectable. Uh, there's not any, like, it's just basically the Marlins where you're like, okay, well, everyone's going to beat up on this team. So you kind of do wonder how that's going to end up landing their win totals. I mean, it's it's like Bal- well, Baltimore got more than 50 wins a year ago, if I'm not mistaken, and they played oh, man. They that, played that two 100-win teams. <laughs> yeah, that team was abysmal. 
That, that was that was with half half a season of Manny. They still had Jones. They they had Gossman for half a season. I mean, they still only pulled out forty seven. Oh, they only, for, they uh, didn't win fifty. Yeah, they, they were fifty. No, they they went forty seven and one hundred and fifteen. They finished oh like 60, 61 games wow. out of first place. Okay, well, the Marlins will be better than last year's Baltimore. I'll give them that. I I don't know that we'll see. I I, I don't remember a team being worse than last year's Baltimore. So that's a pretty. <laughs> That's 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 certainly a bar. Yeah, that that's a that's a bar that we can all clear. Uh, but we do yeah. we we do have to get I mean, out of the here. The Marlins they're they're pretty clear about what they're doing down there. Um, they're just tearing. They tore the whole thing down, and now they're going to slowly build it back up. Which you know they've only done that fifty times since they've existed. <laughs> but they still have but, more World Series than we do, which I hate to say. Um, I probably should have brought that up right here at the end of the episode. But uh, before we let you go, Gabe, I'm sure you've done this a ton of times, but tell our listeners where they can find you. Okay, yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter, at Gabe Burns AJC. Um, I welcome all of your Craig Kimbrell tweets. Uh, I'm disappointed today. I haven't really tweeted, so I've only gotten like two mentions of Kimbrell today. But I always look forward to reading about Craig Kimbrell in my mentions. And AJC.com, right? uh, we're going we're gonna to have a lot going on there, especially opening day is like a week a week away. Week from like, today. Yeah, a week away, actually. A week away from Philly. So uh, really excited about it. Chock full of snark. I love it. Doc, thank you so much for joining me again this week, sir. Always a pleasure, buddy. And uh, this is uh, 55. Great success. Nice little round number there. Thank you guys so so much for helping us get to that. Should, would also be remiss to say that uh, I do start the Locked On Braves podcast on Monday. So if you're looking for a short little 15-minute little pick-me-up, go on over check me out there if you don't mind that. Thank you guys so much for coming out. We'll catch you next week here on the Platinum Sombrero. Okay, thanks. Bye.